You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 28. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Claire Pyers on integrating pathology into Chinese medicine practice. everybody, I'm Fee Gitchum and today I'm interviewing your other illustrious co-host Dr. Claire Pyers about integrating pathology into Chinese medicine practice. Hi Claire. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> Claire has a background in chemical engineering and during her 11 years of Chinese medicine practice has done further study in nutritional, environmental and integrative medicine. Claire has been doing some really interesting work in creating a framework to interpret conventional pathology tests into a Chinese medicine diagnosis. She has published a book called TCM Guide to Pathology and an app by the same name that helps practitioners to integrate the diagnostic framework into their own practice. She's running workshops on this in September 2016, which you can sign up for via the link in the show notes. Claire runs a multi-practitioner Chinese medicine clinic in Melbourne, Australia called Discover Chinese Medicine. You can find Claire's book and info about her clinic at www.discovertcm.com.au. The app can be downloaded in the iTunes store. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or on Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. Hi everybody and welcome to today's show. I am particularly excited about this one and I have to laugh at the beginning welcoming Claire to the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm sure if you've heard our other episodes, you'll get the joke. So this topic is really interesting for me because during my time working with Claire, which has been two years now, my knowledge of pathology, working with pathology tests and being able to integrate them has really expanded through Claire's knowledge and her work in this field. And I'm so excited for Claire and for all of you that she's now published this book and the app and you too can access this kind of information. So, well done Claire, congratulations. Thank you, it's a tough tough process writing a book and um, you know, particularly challenging for me, I sort of embarked on this journey knowing that there was a real need for it. I think in the last, um, in the last few years in particular, you know, there's a lot of focus on um, integrative medicine and practitioners are looking more and more to other modalities to get confirmation or to look for ideas on ways of treating their patients and I think it's very our medicine can very easily be diluted Mm -hmm. via absorbing this information in from other modalities without necessarily thinking about it from a Chinese medicine point of view and that's something that I'm really quite passionate about and something that everyone who's in this clinic and anyone who knows me knows that if I'm ever looking at um, if I'm ever looking at other other modalities or looking at western herbs or I'm using a supplement of some sort or I'm looking at someone's blood test I'm always in the back of in the back of my mind translating that into a chinese medicine pathology or a Chinese medicine understanding of the dynamics of what's going on and so I've decided okay well I can do this so well in my own mind why don't I write a book on it because no one else has Um, and I didn't really quite realize at the time it was going to take four and a half years but anyway (laughs) it's done now and it's uh, and it's actually arrived and it's on the shelves and so um, yeah I'm very proud Yeah, you should be. It's really great. And I'm not just saying that because I work here. I honestly have been using it. I got the app last year when it first came out. And just going through the app and spending the afternoon looking at it and looking at all the different um, types of tests and all the, the Chinese medicine pattern differentiation translations of them, even just doing that pretty much started to instill in me the capacity to translate 
and to say, oh, I see, of course it is, you know, and, and to work that way. So even for those of you that are busy, even just starting with the app is a really great idea and you can just quickly look things up if because patients are always bringing in their test results these days and they sometimes have multiple practitioners. And I think there's work for us to do with our patients in in terms of trust and making their path easier through not receiving so much conflicting advice. Mm. So um, I'm excited about this because you're removing the conflict. Yeah, and look, I think um, just to give a bit of background, I initially started down this path. I um, was unwell a few years ago and was unable to find assistance really from Chinese medicine or even, you know, I saw a naturopath. I ended up seeing an integrative GP and I was really fascinated to see that I had a whole range of blood tests done by the integrative GP and all of the tests came back in the normal range and yet um, and yet the GP was using a different reference range. I'm like, wow, this is like this whole other world of optimal blood test reference ranges versus, you know, do I need to be in hospital or do I need to be on a medication, which is really what the reference ranges are for. And so it fascinated me because I thought, well, I wonder if this is the key to finding the common ground between conventional medicine and the pathology testing and Chinese medicine because that's more of a holistic view and it's not just, you know, it's it's looking at trying to quantify and measure what does health and optimum wellness look like on a mm. blood test. So I looked into it a little bit further and over the years I've, I've tried to collate as many uh, reference ranges as I was able to and it involved looking through and there, there didn't seem to be any one source of reliable information that carried all of the information that I needed. There's a couple of books that I'll link to in the show notes that uh, readers who are interested can look at a particular naturopath's point of view on in terms of the reference ranges but I found that a lot of the reference ranges that I was looking at I was looking up study after study after study on PubMed to find okay well what's the reference range for for example, um, cholesterol that's associated with an increased risk of Alzheimer's because low cholesterol is, you know, puts people at risk. And there's so many people who have got low cholesterol since they've been on statins. Um, and what's the what's the risk of heart disease? And so, you know, looking at all of the, what does the research actually say? And so that's how a lot of the optimum reference ranges came about. Um, and so I'm quite, as well as being a, a guide that contains all of the all of the chi- Chinese medicine diagnosis, it's also a very precious resource to me in terms of the reference ranges because a lot of work went into, you know, I didn't just make it up, a lot of work went into working out what the optimum reference ranges actually are. Mm. So I know that Claire uh, has a big capacity to really research things and study things all day long, but you also studied, didn't you, yes. at some point? What did you study? Yeah, so in Australia there's um, there's a college called the Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, and they have a really comprehensive practitioner training course. It's targeted to GPs and medical doctors who want to transition into a holistic framework, but they also allow other allied health professionals to undertake their courses. And so I've done probably about probably about 100 hours of their training, which is all very high level, you know, jumping straight into biochemistry and all of the all of the intricacies of the anatomy and the the pathophysiology and so that was really great and that provided me with a really great inspiration to be able to really knuckle down what some of these patterns are. Mm. And so that's a really interesting point that you're making as well about the reference ranges because I think most people have had the experience of not feeling quite right, having a blood test and being told, don't worry, you're fine. But surely for those of us that work in Chinese medicine, it's holistic and it's preventative. We're looking at 
things that are slightly out of whack and bringing them back into centre before there actually is a marked disease. And, and it seems as though a lot of your work has also been in that area and bringing that not only bringing pathology to Chinese medicine but also bringing that knowledge of a holistic preventive approach to pathology. Yeah, and I mean, this is the thing. So many of our patients, I'm not necessarily advocating that all Chinese medicine practitioners need to start sending their patients off for blood tests. I'm certainly not advocating that at all. Most of our patients have had blood tests done. You know, most of our patients are coming because they haven't found the relief or the answers that they're looking for with conventional medicine. And so they've already had a lot of these tests done already. And so um, one of the main things that I do with my patients is that, you know, when someone comes in for the first time, I ask them to bring with them any tests that they've had done in the last 6 to 12 months, even longer sometimes. But that can give a really good idea if you've got copies of what's been going on from a conventional medicine point of view. Sometimes there might be one or two things that are slightly out of range and the doctor will go, oh, you know, that's no problem, we'll just monitor that and see how it goes. But even if you've got patients who are coming in and everything is fine, they're told that everything's fine, I always make sure my patients get a printout, just even just for their own records. But then I can go through and look at the reference ranges and see if there's tests that are out of range. And often there are. Often, you know, there's... And I started to see patterns in patients that were coming to the clinic and... Um, one of the one of the very first things that I started to see, the two actually the two things that I started to see quite commonly, and I found this out from the book that I that I'll link to in the show notes. They suggested that an ideal lower limit for the sodium blood test on the normal serum biochemistry blood test that the lower limit should be 140 millimoles per liter, and so if anyone was coming to me with a sodium less than 140, then that would kind of spark my interest. And often these patients, you know, and that's something that the naturopaths consider to be linked with adrenal fatigue. And so it's associated with fatigue and lethargy. And every single one of these patients that came to me that had a, a sodium level less than 140 had such profound yang deficiency. You know, they're so tired they can barely get out of bed in the morning. And I thought, wow, this is a really clear link here. Like it wasn't even, like that's one of the very few tests. Like there's not really, like some of the tests for people who might already have the app, sometimes you'll click on it and you'll be like, wow, she's got seven patterns here. Like how can that be? But there are some tests where there's really, like it's pretty cut and dry. There's really only one or two possibilities. So kidney yang deficiency with low sodium was really common. The other thing that I found, and I think this is possibly because I treat a lot of women, see a lot of fertility and hormonal problems, was there was one particular liver enzyme which is called GGT. And the reference range for that is normally between about five and five and forty, I think is the, the medical range. But one of the things that I found was that all these women who had blood deficiency, their GGT was less than fifteen. And it might have been 12, it might have been 10, or, you know, kind of close-ish. But what I found is that as their blood, as I tonified their blood, nourished their blood, and their symptoms of blood deficiency went away, if they had their blood tests redone, the GGT came back into range. And so I've, I found that not only did the diagnosis correlate with the, with the, abnormal like the the less than ideal reference ranges but when the patient's health was restored and they felt better if they went and had the blood test redone that the that those markers came back into that ideal range mm. and would that be more of a liver blood deficiency type pattern yeah so i see that it's it's pretty closely linked with liver blood deficiency and mm. liver sometimes a little bit of liver in deficiency but it's pretty specific to the liver. There's other markers that show up mm. um, more general blood deficiency or like a spleen blood or a heart blood deficiency. And does that help you? I'm just thinking about how this is relevant for 
practitioners out there who may not know as much as you (laughs) about the pathology test, but just ways to open the door to be able to expand your practice or even fine-tune the types of herbs that you're going to choose to use. I'm thinking right now, would that if you saw someone with the low GGT and that blood deficiency type pattern, then that it was related to a living immune deficiency, but seeing it sounds to me like seeing that on the test is also like another tongue or pulse marker that would confirm for you that not only are you going to give blood tonics but you're also going to work through the liver yin blood yeah and I your choices yeah, yeah exactly so it can be really useful as a tool to help refine your diagnosis whereas sometimes you might have someone come in and you think wow they're really they're very clearly yang you know, kidney yang deficient for example Um, And look, I think from a practical sense, when you're tonifying someone's kidney yang with herbal medicine, you're also going to be indirectly supporting the blood, depending on what what formulas you're using. But it may help if you also can see from someone's blood test that their GGT is quite low, it might help to pique your interest in exploring, do they have any liver blood deficiency signs? Mm. You know, do they have really poor flexibility, like stiff muscles, do they have like a really chronic, tight, stiff neck? Do they get headache, you know, vertex headaches when they're tired? Do they, you know, other other symptoms of blood deficiency? Mm. And that can sometimes help to guide your formula choice you might choose something more like your guayuan for example which tonifies or can tonify kidney yang via supporting blood energy rather than another formula that you might choose Mm. i've definitely had that experience um being you know having the app in support and looking at some blood tests as well or sometimes people are brought in tests even without me asking for them and then Either you end up looking like, well, I, ooh, I don't know what to do with this, or, or you sort of know a little bit about what to do with it. And I've found it useful to just look through them and then definitely come up with other questions because you can ask people, especially in the initial consult, you can ask people the 10,000 questions and there's still something they forgot to tell you. Yeah. 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 Or they didn't mention because they didn't think it was relevant because they don't think holistically. Yeah. Yeah. Patients that kind of censor what they're going to tell you based on what they think is relevant and what you need to know. And definitely from the testing, a lot of um, a lot of secrets can be revealed. Or sometimes, if a patient doesn't want to divulge particular information, but you can see the information there in the blood test. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've found that can be particularly relevant for people treating women, especially it's also relevant to men, but there are some there are some autoimmune markers for thyroid, for example, and um, markers of low T3, for example, that can be associated with post-traumatic stress disorder, and it's especially associated with women that have a history of sexual abuse. And so without necessarily needing to ask the questions, if you can see that popped up on a blood test, that that can just, you know, you can put that into your mental vault as something that you might address indirectly or, you know, support the patient and create the space in such a way that they can help to relate, you know, like relinquish that that pattern from mm. within them. Mm. Yeah. And what kind of Chinese medicine patterns would you see with that type of post abuse stress? There's a lot of there's a lot of things that show up in heart patterns, particularly with a th- with a thyroid. There's a lot of heart patterns. A lot of symptoms of thyroid disease will manifest as heart, you know, with heart palpitations. Um, and so Whenever I see heart palpitations, I'm always, I need a very good reason not to diagnose a heart pathology of some sort, whether it's heart blood deficiency, heart yin deficiency, heat in the heart, Mm. Um, and so, or heart yang deficiency even, there's lots of different heart patterns. I think heart patterns are probably slightly underdiagnosed. I think Mm. there's a big focus on liver chi stagnation as taught at school and some people kind of never move beyond that. Uh, but there's definitely, from my point of view, a lot of heart pathologies, and that can, from a 
depending on whether you're looking at a channel type of diagnosis, you might be looking at things like Chong Mai and Ren Mai. Mm, that brings up an interesting point. I'm just thinking of listening to you that, yeah, I think often when people think, well, you have heart blood deficiency, but the primary diagnosis is that you have spleen blood deficiency or because your spleen's not building the blood, so the heart's a little, you know, ah, where's my blood? And yet when you know about these these tests and you can look at them and you can see that well this is associated with some kind of post-traumatic or post-abuse stress that might be affecting a woman who's 50 and yet it happened when she was four years old and then you can start to see that as more causal as well and realize that pattern is definitely closer down to the root rather than at the branch level. Yeah and I think some of that comes down to there's a lot of prejudice against directly needling the heart channel and I think we sometimes remember, I think we sometimes forget that the heart is the emperor. You know, the heart's in charge of everything and even from a blood point of view, the heart governs the blood and it's not just this, it's not just this emperor that kind of sits there and does nothing. Mm. Um, so if there's ever a pro problem with the blood, then you've got to look at the heart. Mm. What's the heart doing? What's the heart not doing? The heart should be governing the blood. And I think there's there's not necessarily many treatments from, from a herbal point of view for treating blood than there are for other types of, you know, liver blood patterns and spleen blood, blood patterns. Um, and from an acupuncture point of view, obviously, you've got the entire heart channel and the pericardium channel. Mm -hmm. um, from a five-element point of view, you know, you, you can treat the fire element I think there's a lot of um, yeah I think there's a lot of there's a lot of richness that you can get from Chinese medicine when you when you start to think about okay well and even just thinking about well what's the lung involvement with blood patterns and what's the kidney involvement with blood patterns there's you know each of the each of the main zhang organs are involved in blood in some way mm. so there's a lot of ways in which this type of information could be relevant to a Chinese medicine practitioner it sounds also to me like using this book or app might also broaden our point selection yeah I think I think if you can if you can get out of your head that 75% of your patients are going to have liver chi stagnation. I mean, that's great. Liver chi stagnation is a very common branch manifestation. Often there's a, a different underlying pathology that's the root cause. And I, I think that people who are looking at the app and seeing the patterns that are coming up, a lot of those patterns are... They're more root patterns. I don't really go for branch patterns very often. I think branch patterns are very obvious to practitioners. I think that people can very clearly see if someone's chi is stuck and very easily remove that chi stagnation. But the chi stagnation is going to keep coming back whilst that underlying pathology is there continuing to create it. And that's one of the things that I was hoping to achieve and that I do try and encourage in all practitioners is that sense of reflection into well why is the chi not moving mm. uh, and often it's because there's well I mean there's lots of different reasons but treating what those reasons are and so that's part of what I'm trying to do here is to you know if you think that you've got a patient with liver chi stagnation and you've been treating them for a while and they're not necessarily getting the results that you're hoping for if you can get hold of their blood tests and take a deeper look you might find some clues that will help guide you into perhaps a more refined diagnosis or you might even change your diagnosis altogether. And mm. so that's what I'm hoping to get out of it. Yeah, I hope that people change their treatment approaches. I, You know, I'm all for excellence in Chinese medicine. It's not just about getting over the line. Like we, we've got a really powerful medicine that can really change people's lives if we get the diagnosis right.
And that was something that I always remembered from school was that the diagnosis part of assessment in exams was always worth so much. And definitely as a, as a practitioner and clinician now, I can see that it's so important. If you get the diagnosis right, you don't have to have sophisticated herbal formulas a lot of the time. You don't have to do amazing, profound acupuncture treatments with obscure points. If you get your diagnosis right, the treatment just follows and it makes sense and it works. I think that's definitely the message that we get from master practitioners as well, you know, that that thing of not thinking the formula doesn't work. It's the wrong choice of formula for that patient or the the acupuncture formula as well. so with the we just want I just want to talk a little about what you've created with your book and your app. As I've used the app, I can say that what you'll find in the app is a whole menu of different types of pathology tests and when you tap on them, they open up with all their details and reference ranges and you can tap anywhere on a reference range and this little extra section will open up and it will give you the relevant Chinese medicine patterns. So it will say kidney yang deficiency, spleen yang deficiency um, under a certain part of a reference range and then you tap on a different part of the reference range and you'll get the patterns associated with that. So you know, harking back to you talking about liver chi stagnation, we can say, well, why is it stagnating? Well, there's a deficiency or an excess and pathology tests are great at looking at that simply that polarised view of too much, too little, what's going on there. And so I think that's a really good insight. But also there are some tests that I've learnt that also will indicate to us more dynamic relationships such as is this hormone in the correct ratio with the other hormone? Mm. And then it becomes a lot more fluid and living. So what would someone find in your book? What I know there's a lot of extra detail there. What's going to be there? So in the book, there is information about each, each blood test and what the purpose of the test is, so why the test is being performed in the first place, and that's more for a practitioner to have an understanding of what the doctor who ordered the tests might have in their mind. A lot of, in, in this book, I focused on having just the main conventional pathology tests There's a whole other world of functional medicine testing that I didn't go into, specialist medical testing that I didn't go into. Um, That will be in part two. Well, (laughs) I definitely will do courses on it. There will be a functional medicine textbook to come. Mm -hmm. But for now, the conventional medicine textbook did take quite a lot out of me, so I'll take a little breather before I start writing another textbook. Um, There's So there's a... A paragraph or two or three or four in some cases on what the conventional medicine understanding and interpretation of that test is and that can give some guidelines and even help practitioners you know sometimes I mean no practitioner is perfect and so sometimes GPs will overlook a test result and that can that can help practitioners to be confident in either reassuring their patients that there's there's no signs of cancer, for example, or some kind of deadly, deadly disease. Um, and then, in and then what I've done is I've used the functional medicine understanding and interpretation as kind of like the pivot between the conventional medicine understanding and being able to develop a Chinese medicine understanding of how the pathology works. So there's a lot of information about the functional medicine approach. And they talk a lot about gut health and immunity and the adrenals and hormonal balance, neurotransmitters and things like that. So what you'll find in the Chinese medicine section is how do we, you know, what is a way that we can understand adrenal fatigue from a Chinese medicine point of view? How does that translate into Chinese medicine patterns? There's a lot of a lot of explanation for every single test that you'll find in the app. There's actually another two tests I think that aren't in the app yet but will be uploaded soon that are covered in the book and then there's a section at the end of each chapter to summarize to summarize each of the tests 
and then a section at the end where there will be you can kind of reverse engineer it so if you've got a patient you're like I'm pretty sure you've got blood deficiency or this patient has got blood deficiency and then you can look at well what are the markers that I need to look for that and you can look at their blood tests or if you're you know if you're trained enough that you can then perhaps look at ordering some of those tests I didn't put in treatment guidelines specifically because the book is more about diagnosis and having a diagnostic framework and also because practitioners know the way that they treat things. If you've got someone, you know, we keep coming back to the Mm. example of liver blood deficiency, people know how they're going to treat liver blood deficiency and if I was to put in treatment protocols for everything in the book, it would have ended up being a textbook of everything. Yeah. How to treat everything because really there's so much that's covered in the book in terms of the testing covers pretty much the spectrum of what can happen to a person. And so there's no treatment in there. Yeah. But, I, but you don't need it. It's that's a, that's fine. Hopefully you don't need it and that there's other places where you're going to get inspiration for how you're going to treat those things within Chinese medicine and there's many different styles of Chinese medicine treatment. So it would be very difficult to be inclusive of all of that. I'm going to read out from the app the list of uh, the menu of tests that are on offer here because there is quite a lot. It's very, it's very thorough. We've got electrolytes, kidney function tests, liver function, cholesterol, cardiovascular tests, red blood cell investigation, iron studies, white blood cell investigation, blood sugar, thyroid hormones, other vitamins and minerals, which includes vitamin D, calcium and phosphates. And we also have how to work through a female hormone test from day three of the cycle, as well as day 21 of the cycle. And there's more in the book. Is that correct? Yeah. So I haven't... So in the book, you'll find there's a couple extra tests. So in the blood sugar test, in the blood sugar section, you'll find insulin mm-hmm. is in the book and that'll be in the app soon. So that's, yeah. that's, that's an example of one that didn't make it into the first run of the app. But the app is updated as, as I develop new understandings of other, other tests. But I think I've pretty much covered most of the standard tests in mm. the app. Mm. And under blood sugar, we've also got the fasting glucose, the HbA1c percentage and lipase. It's really fun and it's very quick to use. You just jump in the app and you hit the button on the chest and the reference range that you're looking at and you get a few more clues. Yeah, so I've had some good feedback from the app and it's very it's very easy for people to download from the app store. Mm. Um, I don't think there's enough technology in Chinese medicine, even though we're supposedly fully-fledged hippies. I think that there's definitely a lot more scope for technology in in our practice without necessarily diluting the essence of what we're of what we're doing. And that's definitely, you know, something that I am very passionate about. Mm. I don't I don't like people just going, okay, well, I'm using magnesium, full stop. It's like, well, you know, magnesium, it, it moves liver chi and it supports liver yin to a certain extent. But if you don't have an understanding of, I think it's important to have an understanding mm. of what we're actually doing. If we're going outside of the boundaries of the way that we were taught Chinese medicine, the way that Chinese medicine has evolved. I mean, we're so fortunate that the Chinese medicine framework lends itself to being able to incorporate new information. But I think it's important to bring it back into our diagnost- into our theoretical framework. It's such an exciting time in bridge building. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm building bridges. Yeah. I'm all into building bridges. Yes. Great. And so are there any types of tests that you want to share with us today or go through, some basic ones that everyone's probably seen before? Yeah, so we've talked about the sodium, the serum sodium, and that's a really common one. Anyone who's tired, have a look at their blood tests and see if their sodium is below 140. 
And if it is, then you need to work on their kidney yang. And what's the, the standard Australian current reference range? Would I, 140 be considered low or is that... No, 135 is the lower okay. is the lower limit. So unless you're on death's door, then, yeah, you'll be, you'll be hanging out at like 136, 137. You won't be able to get out of bed in the morning. You'll be so tired. You'll just be exhausted. And your doctor will say, oh, everything's fine. And that's, and I when think, you, that's when you need to go for acupuncture. Oh, totally. <laughs> and heaps of moxa. Oh, my goodness, so much moxa. Uh, look, I've even seen patients who've had a sodium of 133 and the doctor hasn't necessarily done anything about it. They've just said, oh, look and see. And meanwhile, I mean, I don't know how anyone can survive with a sodium that low. It really has a big impact. Uh, there's another test that's quite common and it's generally a calculated blood test. So they'll have the creatinine level that's tested and then there's a calculation that's made based on gender and age and it's t they calculate that into a, a measurement that you'll see on your test called EGFR and that stands for the estimated glomerular, I can never say that properly, filtration rate and that's essentially a marker of kidney function. And so unless you're in the upper level of normal, so they'll often have, depends on the lab, some of them they'll have greater than 90 and some they'll have greater than 100. Whatever the upper limit that the lab has, you want to be in that zone. If you're in, if your EGFR is like 80 or 75, then that's, that's a sign that your kidney chi is suffering. And it's either, it's going to either be kidney yang, kidney chi, kidney yin, it's going to be very straightforward from a Chinese medicine point of view to look for markers of someone's kidneys not working well. And that comes good really quickly. Even people who've got really poor kidney function. I've had patients with an EGFR as low as 30 and it comes good within a matter of weeks and they might be having pain, you know, related to their kidney function and be on all kinds of conventional treatment. But there's a lot that we can offer for our patients in that regard. So can I throw something out there? Yeah. With the two examples, we've got low sodium, yep. low EGFR. Yeah. And let's say we've got a patient who drinks a lot of coffee. And so we know coffee's hijacking all their minerals and stressing out their kidney chi. And we try and say, well, you've got kidney chi deficiency. But they're not going to be very compliant about the coffee because kidney chi deficiency doesn't necessarily mean much to them, but they've brought in their tests. Is that another way that you could then say, well, look, coffee's hijacking your sodium here, and is that something you can um, add more to? Yeah, look, I think, I think ultimately patients don't get into scenarios like that without some kind of crazy lifestyle or dietary anomalies or something significant that's happened, a trauma or a car accident or something like that. So I think patients generally, and, and if people are coming in and they've got that type of level showing up on their test, they're fairly desperate. Like they're, they're not going to be getting much love from their doctor or their specialist um, and they're suffering. And so often these people are fairly motivated to make any change that you suggest. And if you can back it up with with a number on a piece of paper and say, hey, you know what, if your number gets to this, you're going to feel so much better. This is what it's going to take. I think it's. I think it can be really motivating for people to be looking at their blood tests and to be, to be listening to what they're saying and to be able to say, hey, what you're saying matches up with what's on this blood test if we look at an optimal reference range, an ideal reference range, rather than, you know, the within normal limits. I was at a conference not long ago where there was a neurologist who presented and he he talked about ideal reference ranges and he said, yeah, no, you can't use the within normal limits. And he said that WNL, within normal limits, they had a joke at medical school that WNL actually stood for we never looked. Oh. And so <laughs> I thought that was really quite fitting because it definitely that's how patients feel is that you know, they have some tests done and their doctor didn't really have a look. And where did those reference ranges come from? 
Which reference ranges? The WNL within normal limits. Well, some of them come from, some of them are based on physiology. So the serum biochemistry, you're, I mean, the, the body needs to hold a very tight pH level to be able to operate safely and for the for all of the enzymes and processes within the body to work. And so that pH is a really narrow range. And the serum biochemistry, so sodium, potassium, bicarbonate, chloride, they're the, the main anions and cations that make up that make up the, the main acidity regulators in the blood. And so those reference ranges reflect what someone needs to be in in order to be fairly well. And so if you're out of that reference range, you're going to be really unwell. So, um, in terms of metabolic acidosis or metabolic alkalosis, and you'll be possibly in hospital, in a coma, you could die. Mm. So those reference ranges are based on you know, fairly sensible reasoning some of the other tests are and and those those measurements don't tend to vary by lab to lab or country to country a lot of other tests are based on population sampling and so essentially over time they'll be like okay we've tested a hundred thousand people and here's the two standard deviations so the majority of the population the assumption is that most people are well which, you know, you could argue most people aren't in hospital, mm-hmm. you know. Probably nowadays most people aren't well. Most people are probably suboptimal in terms of their health. However, the assumption is still that most people are okay. And so the reference ranges are often based on what is it going to take for you to not be in hospital or to not need medication. It's not necessarily based on what it takes to actually feel good within yourself from a health point of view. And so that's where, um, that's where a lot of the ideal reference ranges uh, can be sometimes significantly different, particularly with things like cholesterol, thyroid function. There, there's some big variation in terms of what a reference range is going to be, you know, what's acceptable in terms of what's common. If you test 100,000 people, what's the average going to be and then what's a little bit above and a little bit below? versus, you know, what what level do people actually feel good at? Mm-hmm. And so we thought, you know, with TSH, for example, the thyroid-stimulating hormone, your TSH can be as high as 5.5 in some places. There's one lab in Australia that uses 5.5 as the upper level of what's acceptable for thyroid-stimulating hormone. Some labs will use 4 some of the recommendations, particularly coming out of America, are saying that four should be a better reference range. But then for pregnancy, it needs to be below two. And so there's a lot of women and anyone who's practicing fertility, you know, get hold of your patient's blood tests if they haven't had their TSH tested. And, you know, it's not a great, it's not the be-all and end-all of thyroid function testing, but it gives a fairly good indication if any of your fertility patients have a TSH greater than two, it needs to be addressed. It's a massive barrier to being able to conceive. And patients who do conceive with a TSH higher than 2, it's been shown in studies that they have a much higher chance of miscarriage. Often, if a patient does conceive and their TSH is 3 or 4, as soon as they're pregnant, it automatically becomes a risk. And so it's not necessarily a good idea to wait until or if they fall pregnant to address that TSH. Mm. So the, these ranges that we're looking at really in the information in the book is allowing us to guide, to be able to view the tests and translate to Chinese med as well as understand what's the optimum health reference range. Yeah, and look, really what we're doing a lot of the time for our patients is we're filling the gap that isn't being filled by conventional medicine. Hmm. You know, people are people are kept safe in the sense that they're not going to die, that they don't need to be in hospital or on some crazy medication, you know, they're kind of the, the walking dead in the sense, you know, that they're outside of the limits of what conventional medicine can treat. And so what we're doing is looking at how to get people well. And look, I, I've had, I had my very first patient earlier this year who had 
every single test in the optimum range and yet she came to see me she'd seen multiple holistic GPs multiple naturopaths multiple practitioners over probably the last eight years and none of them had been able to help her she'd been on thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of supplements she'd done thousands of dollars worth of functional testing as well as conventional testing and she was so profoundly tired and so you're not always going to have people showing up even with the ideal reference ranges but you know what it was so obvious from a Chinese medicine point of view she came in she's got blood deficiency so simple I put her on bargain tongue and within two weeks she felt amazing and so it's it, it's not a substitute for Chinese medicine diagnosis. We still need to assess the patient who's in front of us. We still need to use our clinical expertise and our own diagnostic framework. And in that particular case, there was nothing of value that came from looking at the tests, which I was quite amazed with because she was really unwell. Like this is a woman who had to quit full-time work. She was having to sleep every day. Mm. And, you know, luckily, and a lot of people will probably find this. People who have spent a lot of time with integrative doctors and naturopaths have already had all of their mineral deficiencies corrected. And really all that we need to do from a Chinese medicine point of view is get the qi and the blood dynamics going. And we do that really well with our ac acupuncture and herbs. Great. <laughs> Good old Bajin Tom. Yeah, there's other a couple of other tests that I'll mention just quickly in the in the blood count, particularly in the white cell count. You want your white cells to be not right at the bottom, um, but you also want to have you want to look at the full list. So the the three at the bottom, the monocytes, the basophils, and the eosinophils. In particular, if the three of those are fairly high or you add them together and they make up more than about 8% of the overall white blood cell count, then that can be a sign of inflammation. And depending on the level of the level of the aggregate of those, those tests will tell you whether it's more likely to be chronic or acute inflammation. Eosinophils and basophils shouldn't really be present. In particular, eosinophils will indicate that either the person is eating something that they're reacting to, there's something that's act caused the immune system to, to be activated. They could have a parasite, they could have something that they're exposed to in the air that they're breathing in, it could be mold or some type of airborne allergen or something that they're eating. Basophils tend to be more specific to food reactions. It tends to be more of a gut-specific reactivity there and so that can tell you that there's something out of whack with someone's spleen chi something's wrong with the way that that person's middle jowl is functioning there could be something going on with their wei chi there's lots of different ways that we can interpret those those clues from the blood test but that can help to refine your diagnosis or even you know to to consider looking at making some changes to a person's diet to see if they improve Mm. For me, often that's been a sign to try and track down what it is in their diet or environment that might they might be sensitive to, mm. they might have a sensitivity to. Yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, it's someone's cat oh. or their dog, and that's really tricky. I don't know what I don't know what to do with those with those people. That's really hard. Mm. Hopefully, you can build the way chi and that they will become less sensitive to their own. Yeah, over build, time. Build their resilience. Yeah. 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 And I think the stress relieving benefits of having a pet may also help to counterbalance what's happening. Yeah, and that's when, you know, we can use a combined approach that it's not necessarily about removing the allergen and that's all that you do. There's certainly a lot that we can offer within Chinese medicine mm. and looking at where the weaknesses are that that makes someone susceptible to reaction. Often there's a, a yin deficiency component or some heat in the blood that underpins the tendency for wind that, you know, 
that is often seen with itching. Mm. I, I very, I very rarely will diagnose a pattern like wind. I always think back to the passage in the Neijing where they, you know, where they say that wind can only enter when the when the channels are empty. And so the channels are meant to be filled with qi and blood and yin and all the good stuff. And so if there's if there is no space, then the wind can't enter. Mm. So I'm looking whenever whenever there's wind, I'm always going for why is there wind? Why is there wind? How did the wind get in? <laughs> who let the wind in? <laughs> and so uh, for anyone who you know who is thinking about purchasing my book or who may have already purchased my book. That's the thinking that goes on in my mind when I'm looking at where do these patterns come from and where you know how do we make these correlations. So you won't see many branch, mm. many branch diagnoses in the book or the app. Wow. Well, I hope that's uh, given you all some more support and things to think about with deepening your Chinese medicine practice. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today, Claire. My pleasure. And thank you for all the work you've done in, in publishing the book and writing a book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it hasn't been easy. I've, in the process, I've had a baby and, you know, sadly lost my mum as well. And so, yeah, it's been a difficult journey for me over the last few years, but um, I've made it. It's it's an amazing achievement considering that you do have a young child and running a business as well. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the Heavenly Chi podcast. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. <laughs> Great to be on the show. <laughs> and we'll have you on the show again sometime, I'm sure. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody would like to ask any questions or have a conversation about integrating pathology into Chinese medicine practice, please make your comments on our Facebook page, Heavenly Chi on Facebook, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye for now. Bye.